0: Okay, we are again continuing upon the chronological life of Jesus we're going to read today out of Luke chapter 9 <clears throat> reading from verse 27 Luke 9:27 <clears throat> and what we had covered last week or actually the last two weeks was Jesus gave a short discourse on on being his disciple And he closed out that discourse in verse 27, Luke chapter 9, verse 27. Now this same portion that we're going to be reading is both also in in, uh, Matthew and Mark, as well as Luke, verse 27. But I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. So Jesus says that some of the people that were standing there some among his disciples were not going to taste death until they see the kingdom of God. <clears throat> and that happens, that, that, that uh, seeing the kingdom of God happens uh, just a few days later. <clears throat> Verse 28. Some eight days after these sayings, he took along Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different and his clothing became white and gleaming and behold two men were talking with him they were moses and elijah who appearing in glory were speaking of his departure which he was about to accomplish at jerusalem now peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep but when they were fully awake they saw his glory and the two men were standing with him and as they and as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not realizing what he was saying. While he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Then a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my Son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and reported to no one in those days any of the things which they had seen. So, it says in verse 28, some eight days after these sayings. What sayings? The sayings just above where Jesus had said, some standing here will not die until they see the kingdom of God. This was a portion of of what the kingdom of God was going to look like. So you say, what's heaven like? What's it going to be like? Jesus gives a glimpse of it to these three. To Peter, James, and John. Peter, John, and James. John and James being brothers. You may remember when we talked about the disciples. There were three groups of disciples. Three groups of four. There was a leader of each of those three groups. Peter, James, and John. So this was sort of the the senior people among the twelve. He brought these three with them up to a mountain. And as you read this, uh, uh, if, you, if you go to Israel today, they will say that, that this transfiguration came about on Mount Tabor, where there's the, uh, a Catholic church there now, uh, uh, the uh, this, this Church of the Transfiguration. That's, almost all scholars say that that's about 45 miles off. Uh, this the, the things that happened just above this were, were at the base of Mount Hermon, the largest mountain there. And also we know that it was a secluded place because the scriptures say that he took them, in, in, if you look in the other Gospels accounts, it says that they went to a secluded place. Mount Tabor was never a secluded place, nor is it a secluded place today. Because it's, it's one of the entry points into the Jezreel Valley, which is a huge valley where... where um, where a lot of uh, uh, battles had been thaw- fought. <clears throat> but this, this Mount Hermon was a place that was, was really quite secluded, <clears throat> and actually a, a much higher mountain. And it says, some eight days after these things. If you look at the other two Gospels, it would say, it says, after six days. Here it says, some eight days, because what Luke is doing is including the day that Jesus said this in verse 27, that he said something, and the day it occurred. There was a six-day period, so there was a day where Jesus said this, six days, and then another day when it happened. So you see, both of these are, both gospel accounts are correct. It just matters when you start counting the days. The other two gospels are doing the inter- intervening period. So Jesus is, is, goes up with Peter, James, and John, and they go up to a mountain, and it says, "...and went up to a mountain to pray." They went up to a mountain to pray." Now, if you look down in verse 32, it says, Now Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep, but when they were fully awake. So Jesus was praying, and the disciples were sleeping. Remember, they had that pattern. Remember, the same thing happened in, 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 uh, just before Jesus was arrested. It says that, that uh, Jesus asked them to pray with him, and then Jesus came back. They were sleeping, and... He went off, he prayed again, he came back, they were still sleeping. He said, could you not pray with me for just one hour? Now, now if, if you look at it, you'll find that, that uh, this just one hour is really quite amazing. Because um, uh, it is difficult to pray for an hour. If you've never prayed for an hour, go ahead, give it a try. It's not easy to pray for an hour. And, uh, uh, but Peter and the others were asleep. Jesus was praying. This is the pattern... We see in the life of Jesus that he was praying. The other two Gospels also record that Jesus went up to the mountain and he was praying. Jesus was praying on this mountain. Well, go figure. Well, I guess, I, I guess Jesus needed prayer. He needed to pray a lot. But, you know, us, you can just sleep. Everything you take care Jesus prayed. This is the pattern of Jesus' life. You see the man praying. If you say, you know, I want to be like Jesus. Well, what did Jesus do? Jesus prayed. Again and again we find the pattern of Jesus. He was praying while other people were sleeping. There was a man named Brother Bhatt Singh who, um, when I was in college, when I was about your age, I I met this man from India who had an amazingly powerful ministry. He had started over 600 churches in India. He had a, a powerful healing ministry. He didn't never had a healing service. He just had services and people would come and he would pray. And, and uh, uh, many lives were changed uh, through his life. And, and the young guys who were in college often would help to take care of him because he was in his 80s at the time when, he would, when when I met him. And so we would take turns taking care of him. And the guys who took care of him had seen this pattern that if you slept in his room with him, so usually you were in, in these Rooms uh, uh, sometimes in in a person's home, or sometimes they would rent out facilities in a local college because we would have big meetings over the summer. And so you'd be in a dormitory room with him, and he would get on his knees before he would go to sleep, and he would pray. And he would pray so long as a college student, you you, you know, this guy was just going on, just praying quietly, just. He wasn't praying out loud. You could do what you want, and he would just be there praying. So you felt obliged to get on your knees by your bed and be praying too. Well, after a while, you'd get so tired of this, you'd get, you'd go to bed, go to sleep. And then the guys would say they would wake up like two hours later, and the guy was still there on his knees, with his, his head just looking up toward heaven, praying. The man had this life of prayer that was just amazing. When he would preach we would first get down as a group and get on our knees for 30 to 45 minutes and pray before his message, just to pray for the outpouring of God on the message. Then he would preach for about 45 minutes and stop and say, let's pray. And then you pray for another 30 or 45 minutes and then he would get up and he would start preaching again. This was the pattern. And so this was the first pattern in which I learned. And so... It was it was strange for me to go in a regular church where a prayer was about three words: Jesus bless our time, Amen. And then you'd have this church service, and then you close with another three words of prayer and go home, because the pattern that I had seen from this man was so much different. This is apparently the pattern we had. Remember, we had talked a few weeks ago about it says that Jesus, uh. uh, uh was with His disciples, and He was praying alone. And so you see that even His disciples were around, but He was praying alone. Jesus had a life of prayer. This was the life that Jesus had, was a life of prayer. Maybe this should tell us something. Maybe this should tell us that our Christian culture in the Western world today doesn't quite do it right. We want to follow the pattern of Jesus, This was the pattern of Jesus. He had a pattern of prayer. So I challenge you. I challenge you to make a list. Make a list of names of people to pray for. And kindly add me to that list. You know, if you are wondering who should I pray for? You pray for me. Okay, you can add me to that list. And I have a lovely wife. You can add her to the list if you're wondering. If you're wondering, I have four children. You can add their names to the list. Take that list and try praying for 30 minutes a day for the people on that list. Include your family members, include your friends. Try praying for 30 minutes a day. Try it. And ask God's blessing and outpouring upon those people. 30 minutes a day. Try it. You know, I want to challenge you. Try it. 30 minutes a day. This seems like a huge amount, but I'm telling you, people from other cultures, 30 minutes is nothing. In prayer, we are so kindergarten-like when it comes to the depth of our understanding in the way these people prayed, that we think we have done it nobly. If we pray for three minutes, how noble of me, how happy God must be, how proud of me He must be, because I pray for three minutes before I leave my room in the morning. God is really fortunate to have one like me, serving Him. Try it. Try 30 minutes a day. Jesus had this pattern of prayer. He is praying, and while He was praying, it says in verse 29, and while He was praying, the appearance of His face became different, and His clothing became white and gleaming. So, remember, He said up in verse twenty seven he says, They're not going to taste death until they see the kingdom of God. This is a glimpse of what heaven will be like. This is a glimpse of the kingdom of God. This is a glimpse of what it will be like when the Messiah has his reign for a thousand years on this earth. This is a glimpse. He will be shining brightly. It was the other gospels describe it that his 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 clothing was whiter than any cleaner could make it because they were shining. Was a, they were just shining. So we have a term for this in in, uh, in chemistry. It's called fluorescence, where where emission is occurring from the material. So it's not just absorbing light; it's actually emitting light. And so the way you get fluorescence to occur, you generally shine a light on something and it emits at a different wavelength. And that's why when you wear a, a white shirt and you go into a, a, a club and it's got the black lights, your your white shirt starts shining. That's called fluorescence. It's actually emitting light. It's absorbing some light and emitting light. Jesus' face was shining. It was emitting light. This is similar to what Moses went through when he was in the presence of the Shekinah glory. It says he would have to cover his face when he would come down because it would just be glowing. Jesus' face was glowing and emanating light from him. That's what it will be like. The Son of God will be shining. It says that this occurred when he was praying. When he was praying, the heavens were opened. When he was praying. If you just keep your finger there in Luke chapter 9, turn back to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3 reading from verse 21. Luke 3:21. Now all the people were baptized. Jesus also was Jesus was also baptized and while he was praying Heavens were opened. The Holy Spirit descended upon Him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came out of heaven, You are my beloved Son, in You I am well pleased. You are my beloved Son, and You are well pleased. When He was praying, the heavens were opened. Verse, so you see the same pattern. He's praying, the heavens are opened. Jesus is praying, the heavens are opened. How do you think the heavens are opened? This is a quiz. Jesus was praying... The heavens were opened. Jesus was praying, the heavens are open. Oh, I never really see God doing anything in my life. All right, try to get an open heaven. Try praying 30 minutes a day and see if heavens don't open for you. See if heavens don't open for you. Jesus was praying, and remember, it could not have been Jesus just started praying and four seconds later, boom. Because His disciples were already asleep. They didn't just walk up there to the top of the mountain Jesus say, let's pray and boom, they, you know, these three guys just fall over. I mean, they were probably praying for a while and the three guys couldn't keep up. And they go to sleep and Jesus is still praying. Allow the heavens to open for you. What He's revealing to us today is a secret that so few Christians on earth ever take hold of. And especially in the Western world. That we think that we're doing God a service if we should pray for three minutes. Jesus was praying and the heavens were opened. His face began to shine. It was gleaming. If you pray regularly, I don't think your face is going to be emitting light. But there will be a light and a countenance that is different about you. People will understand there's something different about you. You spend time in the presence of God in prayer, there will be something different about you. If you've ever met a very godly man or a very godly woman that spends time, a lot of time in prayer, you wonder, there's just a presence about this person. A presence about this godly person. That being in the presence of God, it's as if they're shining light from them. Even they can be old, and but there's a presence, a countenance about them. So it says that in verse 29 of of Luke chapter 9, and while he was praying, his appearance, the appearance of his face, became different, and his clothing became white and gleaming. And behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah. Look at this. So two men are talking with him. Moses and Elijah. What does Moses represent? Moses represents the law. Moses wrote the first five books. The law was given by Moses. Elijah represents the prophets. What do, do the Jews have? They have the law and the prophets. You always hear the law and the prophets. The law was written by Moses, and then you have the prophets. Elijah being the one that is representing all of the prophets. The other thing you have in Moses and Elijah... Moses died, it says, and God buried Moses. God personally, the only example of this, personally buried Moses, it says. And no man knew where his grave was. And for good reason, because they would have built a shrine. They would have, because he was so revered. But God buried him. He had him go up on a mountain. He died. God buried him on that mountain. Told him he was going to die on that mountain. And God took care of the burial, it says. But clearly, Moses is standing here alive, talking to Jesus. This is some, some 1,500 years later. He's talking to Jesus. Moses is talking to Jesus. Elijah never died. Elijah was that prophet who was taken up to heaven. He never died. Here he's talking to Jesus. What does this represent? This represents those who know God, those who are in Christ, who die... They go to be with Jesus and they will one day be raised up, physically. What about Elijah? Elijah represents those who will be believers on earth when the Lord returns. It says they will be taken up to go in the clouds. And those who are dead in Christ shall rise and and meet them in the air. So you have the two representations of those who die knowing the Lord are going to be resurrected. Those who will be alive when the Lord returns they will be resurrected. And you have all embodiment of the entire law and all the prophets. Here, they are speaking with Jesus. You want a picture of the kingdom of God? Is it going to be you know, people with wings? I mean, Moses and Elijah didn't have wings. There's Moses and Elijah standing there. They're discussing things with Jesus. They're talking about, it says, his departure. The other two Gospels mention Moses and Elijah, but it doesn't say what they were doing. They just saw Moses and Elijah there. Luke reports what they were doing. It says, behold, two men were talking with him. They were Moses and Elijah, who, appearing in glory, were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So they were appearing in glory. So they were glorified bodies as well. They were given glorified bodies, as Paul speaks about. When we are resurrected, we will be given glorified bodies. As soon as we die, our spirit goes immediately to be in the presence of God. And one day, He will raise up for us a physical body, a physical body to be with us as well. You say the physical body's all decomposed after all those years. He put the atoms together once, He can do it again. The atoms are still there. Isn't that remarkable? The atoms are still there. Just pull them back together again. God spoke it once. He'll do it again. They're given glorified bodies and they're speaking with Jesus. So you're going to be playing a harp in heaven? No harps here. Maybe some people are. But these guys were talking. There's the fellowship going on with the Son of God. You want a picture of heaven? This is what it will be like. Fellowship with the Son of God. They're discussing things. They happen to be discussing an issue. They're talking about His departure which is going to take place in Jerusalem. Jesus had just spoken of it just above. Remember, he says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to, be, uh, 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 I'm going to be suffer at the hands of the chief priests, the scribes, and the Pharisees. And Peter calls them, and then I'm going to, and then I'm, I'm going to die. And, and uh, Peter says, this is never going to happen to you. I mean, Jesus knew this, so they're discussing this with him. I don't know. It doesn't give us any details of what they're saying. Maybe they're going in it in more detail, or maybe they're saying, Jesus, yes, you're about to accomplish. We don't know. We don't know what they were really saying. All, they know is, all we know is we know the topic, but we don't know the details of the topic, of the conversation. So then it says, it, it, it says in verse 32, Now Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep. Now you can imagine that. They, they, had, they had gone on this trek up this mountain, which wasn't easy. They were tired. They were overcome with sleep. So Jesus was praying. These guys were overcome with sleep. But, when they were fully, fully awake, they saw His glory and the two men standing with Him. And these were, and, and as these were leaving Him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. So, you see that it documents they were fully awake. It wasn't like they were groggy. Oh, so. what's going on No, they were fully awake. And remember, people don't dream common things. They were fully awake. They saw Jesus standing there talking with Moses and Elijah. Now, I have no idea how Peter, James, and John recognized Moses and Elijah. Because remember, they lived long after Moses and Elijah. How did they recognize? I think maybe they had one of these name tags. Text- Hello, my name is <laughs> Moses. And ha- how do you know that Moses and Elijah... I don't know. I don't know if it's it's something that's just the aura about a person. I don't know. It doesn't tell us. But what it says is that there will be recognition of who we were on earth in heaven. Remember, Jesus said, I'm going to give a glimpse of the kingdom of God. There's going to be recognition. So it's not like you're going to have a new name. The name you have is the name you're going to have in heaven. That's your name. That's the name you're going to have. Same name. There's going to be a recognition where you will recognize people. This is just a glimpse of heaven. This is what the Word of God documents. We will be able to speak to the Lord. Moses and Elijah depart. I mean, maybe as they're going, you know, the two of them are talking. You're going to talk with people. You're going to discuss issues. You're going to discuss things. And it says that that as they're departing, they were fully awake. They saw his glory. They saw two men standing with him. And then, and then uh, um, Peter says, let's build a tabernacle. I'll build one for you, Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And most sermons that you'll hear about this, they'll pick on Peter. They'll say, oh, this was sacrilegious to you know, somehow make Moses and Elijah equal with Jesus to have a tabernacle. That, that, that's bringing up Moses and Elijah too much or bringing Jesus down too much. This is totally based on what what Peter knew. If you look at this from a Jewish perspective, Feast of Tabernacles, there are these tabernacles that are constructed. This is totally what you would do. Peter knew certain parts of this. He didn't yet understand the resurrection. He didn't understand really what was going on. There are certain portions he understood. He knew Jesus to be the Messiah. God doesn't seem to be upset about this. Yeah, God speaks, but He doesn't ever scold Peter like, Oh, Peter. I mean, this is so vile of you to have thought such a thought. I mean, Peter was, was rebuked by Jesus just a little while earlier for saying things. He turned to Peter and he says, Get behind me, Satan. He didn't rebuke Peter for this. He didn't reprove him for this. But people love to pick on Peter for this. But Peter was just, you know, wanting to do a noble thing. I've seen people want to do things for me. I'll, I'll give you an example. But they didn't realize quite what they were doing. Um... Uh, so, so I was in Taiwan. When I was in Taiwan, I m- made a comment um, about there, there's a, you can buy a lot of knockoff jewelry here. You know, you can buy like a Rolex watch, I commented. It's not that I wanted a fake Rolex watch. I think that that's not good to have because, because you're violating the integrity of that company to buy these knockoff watches. You can't find them here in the U.S. unless you go to like Hillcroft area, but you can't going to a normal shop. So, as I'm leaving Taiwan, my host gives me a his and hers, one for my wife, knock-off Rolex watches that looked really real. And he was trying to be good to me, but I didn't want them. You, you know what I mean? I, I, I didn't want to be taking things that aren't right to take. And... You know, he's giving him, and I didn't want to hurt his feelings either, I didn't know what to do, and so he hands me this, he's really proud of himself, because he got, he, he thought I was suggesting I want one of these, so he went to whatever part of town you go to in Taiwan, which is probably about any street, and he, <laughs> I'm just guessing, I don't know, and and he, he picked these up for me, and they were really nice, and there was one for Shireen, and, I didn't know what to do. So anyway, he leaves, and then another guy is taking me to the airport. I don't know what to do. Plus, if I should get stopped at the airport, they say, you bought these Rolex, Rolex watches. You owe us $10,000 in, you know, in, 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 in uh, taxes or something. So anyway, I just gave them to the guy who was bringing me to the airport. I said, you know, I really don't like to take these. This other person, just, just take them. And he graciously took them off my hands. I didn't know what I was going to do with them. But you see, people do things for people even though it may not be totally right, I understood the guy's heart. I wasn't going to reprove him for it. I understood his heart. Peter is just saying, let's build a few tabernacles here. We'll do something for you. He was never scolded for it, but in verse 34 it says, while he was saying this, so in the midst of his saying this, it says a cloud formed and began to overshadow them and they were afraid as they entered the cloud, so this is the same cloud that was on the top of Mount Sinai when Moses, it says, he would go up in the presence of God. That just a cloud covered the top of the mountain. The same sort of thing, God's presence. You see this now, all this thousand or fifteen hundred years later. You see this now on, on Mount Hermon. This is occurring. So this, this, the presence of God comes, and it's this engulfing cloud. And it says, the voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. This is very similar to what was said at the baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But here, this word is added, listen to him. Listen to him. You have Moses, you have Elijah, you have the law, you have the prophets. Now listen to him. Jesus was the culmination. It says in Hebrews, this is the culmination. It was all here. Everything was embodied in this. Listen to Him. I'll tell you how you can really hear God. Now, God speaks through a still, small voice. There's no doubt about it. You spend time in prayer. You ask He will give you direction. I will tell you the thing that I struggle with most in my relationship with God is hearing His voice. I can think that God said, you know, I'm looking for, praying for a parking space. Go around the corner and you'll find a space. Sometimes I go around the corner there's a space. Sometimes there's not. When there's not, I am sure God was not speaking to me. There's a space around the corner. It was my own mind. You see, I have a capability with my mind to speak to myself. I have that capability. And to think that, oh, God is speaking to me. So I, ha- I have to be really careful... not to say that God said something to me when maybe He really didn't and it was just my own self. Do you see what I mean? If you meet people who really love the Lord and spend a lot of time in His presence, they're very careful about saying, oh, God told me to do this, God told me to do that. That, in fact, is a quite sophomoric sort of reply to give to somebody. God told me to do this, God told me to do that. And I've spoken to people and they said, God told me to do this, and i just say, I have never heard God speak to me that clearly. And you hear Him constantly so clearly. But the amazing thing is, God told you yesterday to do something, and today you're not doing it or He's told you something different. You know, the Scriptures warn us about taking words and attributing them to God that are not His words. Adding to His words or taking away from His words. So for me, I really like to have some scriptural confirmation God speaks through the scriptures. He says, this is my son, my beloved son. I really like him. I really like this guy. Listen to him. Listen to him. Jesus speaks to us through the scriptures. It says in the book of Hebrews, he is the culmination of the law and the prophets. Jesus is. Listen to him. Listen to him. If you will but pray and meditate on God's Word, I know things will go well for you in life. It is good to have discipleship. I was speaking with a couple of guys this morning. We were talking about discipleship. And, and uh, um, it is good to have discipleship. I have refrained from challenging you in this class with too much. Because I know you're involved with campus ministries and I don't want to pull you away from that by saying, you know, do this, do that. Some students have taken upon themselves to participate heavily in the body of Christ here. I know there's several people who attend this class who are greeters out at the table there and greeters by the doors and people who are involved in children's ministries who aren't even here today because they're involved in different activities in the church and playing instruments and working with the youth. That's great. And I know some of you are really plugged in with campus groups and I don't want to take you away from that. So because of that, I've not heaped a bunch of things on you, which is part of discipleship. To challenge people with things much beyond what they were doing. So if, if we were in a discipleship relationship, you know, you know what it would be like? I challenge you to pray for 30 minutes a day. And you're gonna, we're going to meet again together next week. And you're going to tell me about all your times over this week where you spent that 30 minutes a day. How it went and your failures during that week. That's what discipleship would do. It would, it would keep an accounting of this. We would challenge you to read the Word of God and then we'd come back and discuss it. That's what discipleship would do. I don't do that much because I can't keep track of it all. But it is a good thing to be disciples. He says to us, allow God to speak to you. Listen to my son. If you will but read this Word and read it regularly, that means every day there is blessing that comes by daily meditation on God's Word. The Scriptures tell us this over and over and over again. It, it, it says that we are to meditate on this Word. And I've given this message many times. That's my favorite message to draw people back to the Word of God in this. If you would but pray and listen to God, I know your lives would be alright. I know that you would do well. I know that you would have the right spouse. You'd choose the right spouse. I know that you'd be led in the steps in your career. Because you're listening to His voice. If you do this, your life will go well. You may get cancer and die, but I know that you will die blessed. I don't know what the future has for you, but I know that you will progress and be blessed, very blessed, if you walk in this way. This is exactly the prescription He has for us. He says, listen to my son. You've got Moses, you've got Elijah. Hear him. Hear him. If you pick up this Word of God and make it a pattern in your life, I read... From Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22, when I'm done, I start again. I've been doing this for 35 years. This pattern. Maybe I really need it. Maybe you don't. No. You need it as well. You ought to pick up a pattern. I picked up this pattern as an undergraduate. It's not like, oh, when I graduate, then I'll have more time, then I'll do it. Wrong. Wrong. doesn't happen. Ask David. How much? How many hours a young auditor spends at work, working for a, for, for a, a, a consulting company? How many hours does a young auditor get sent around and, and have to work? A lot. Give, give me an idea. 80 to 120 hours a week. Now, you calculate the number of hours in a week. 80 to 120. 120 is a huge portion of that. Uh, I don't even know how you go to the bathroom. But, <laughs> but um, uh, it's a lot of hours. And, and so, if you think when you get out of school you won't have exams and everything, you're, you're, it doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen. My daughter is in for such a surprise. She doesn't, she thinks, you know, why would anyone want to become a professor because of the hours they have to work? She's in law school? <laughs> Wait until she gets out of law school and gets into a firm and see how many hours they expect young lawyers to put in. Uh, it doesn't automatically get less. You pick up the patterns now. When I was an undergraduate, your age, I picked up this pattern of going daily to pray, setting aside a time in the middle of the day to pray. And I would generally go to the chapel on campus and pray. And these patterns have stuck with me. You develop these patterns now, your life will go well. Jesus was a man of prayer, constantly praying, overshadowing His disciples in prayer. Jesus was a man who listened to His Father. We have been given these Scriptures and that's why I like to listen and get Scriptural confirmation. This is why I like to get confirmation from people that I value, from my pastor. And to say, you know, I, I feel God may be leading in this direction. And I'm very careful how I say this thing. I don't say, well, God told me to do this. I say... I sense God may be leading in this direction. Do you see the difference in coming that way? That way He's open to speak into my life. So when a young person says, God is telling me to do this, I'm like, what do you want me to say? God told you to do this. I can't tell you anything else. I mean, if God has spoken, who am I to say anything? Now I will say I've never seen direction like that in the Scriptures. But what can I say? So you want to be careful how you come to people. Don't say, God told me to do this. Unless you're really sure. And then give scriptural evidence. But you say, this is the impression that I'm getting. What do you think? That's a matter of submission to have one life speak into another. There is, there is great assurance and much counsel, the scripture says. Allow the word of God to speak into your life. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example of how the word of God just really spoke into my life and encouraged me just this week. So, so many people are expecting gym tour to do other things. It just happens all the time. Gym tour, if, you, if you're a good Christian, you ought to do this. If you're a good Christian, you should be discipling more people. Okay, so I'm speaking three or four times a week to different groups. But I should be discipling more people. And I've got the biggest research group on campus and running these things, which allows me to get into forums that somebody can never get into, other people can never get into. So there's all these expectations. And I get people sending me things. They send, mail me books. This is, this is a must for all Christian leaders. I have stacks of must books for all Christian leaders. So I must not be a very good leader because I haven't read any of them. I mean, tons of them. Every, every publisher, they send me a Christian book. I get it sent. And then the authors send me the books. And I get the, these books from people. Because they want me to endorse the book. And then I get manuscripts before the book is published because they want me to put a little statement on the back. I said, I can't until I've read the book. Oh, well, you don't really have to just kind of look through it and get a general idea. I said, I can't do that. If I'm going to put my name on the back and endorse the book, i have to have really read it. And they look at me cockeyed like, that's strange. <laughs> and, it takes, and, and when you give somebody a book, what you're doing is you're saying, I want, I want 47 hours of your life. That's what you're saying. And so I get all these books that Christian leaders have to read. And then I get all these people from around the world emailing me, well, you're, you know, there's, there's no one like you. There's, you're the one who's really a professor and going, and I want to be a professor and I have no Christian mentor. You really got to mentor me. And so I was reading this week and Jesus said in his high priestly prayer in John, he says, he says, Father, I have glorified you because I have accomplished the work that you have for me. I've accomplished the work that you have for me. Do you know how many people Jesus left unhealed in Israel? Thousands of people were unhealed. He would leave towns they'd say, no, "No, we've got to go to another town. Lots of unleft needs. He's going through Galilee. He tells his disciples, don't tell anybody. Weren't there more people that he could have healed? Yeah. But Jesus, to him, wasn't doing everything that needed to be done according to what other people's expectations were. He said, I've fulfilled What the Father has given me to accomplish. I have done it. You see what peace that gave me? Then I could rest. And then my wife is there to confirm it. Uh, I've been telling you this for years. Just do what God wants you to do, not what all these other people expect you to do. But the Word of God just brings great comfort. I want you to understand that treasure. Allowing the Word of God to speak into your life to bring you great comfort. I want you to learn to be a person of prayer. To be a person of prayer. It is not too big a thing for you to spend 30 minutes a day in prayer. It is not too much to ask. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word, for the truth of Your Word. Praise be to Your name. Father, I pray for these young people that You you would build them up in You Draw them deeper. Draw them into new things in your word. Cause them to be people of prayer. People of your word. That they would hear your voice and be able to discern it, particularly through your word. Father, I pray that you give them guidance through the scriptures and you cause them to pray. Father, bless them richly. Bless their lives. The grace of God be upon them, I pray. And I commit them to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.